This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. Welcome to Decolonize Your Destiny podcast. I'm your host, Ingrid LaFleur. Today, we are talking about decolonizing our entertainment with guest Bryce Detroit. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Bryce and I have known each other for a very, very long time, have been long collaborators, Mm -hmm. co-conspirators, theory, conjurers, Yes, (laughs) Yes, yes. <laughs> We've done it all. Um, but yes, a formal introduction. Bryce Detroit is an Afrofuturist artist, activist, and pioneer of entertainment justice, and theorist, if I may add. Mm-hmm. As a cultural designer, he is a national award-winning music producer and curator. Through his social justice practice, Bryce Detroit demonstrates the power of using music, entertainment, arts, and native um, legacies to preserve, produce, and promote new diasporic African narratives, cultural literacies, and cooperative neighborhood-based economies. A prominent community activist and advocate, Bryce Detroit grows intersectional, self-determined communities as a founding member of Oakland Avenue Artists Coalition, co-founder of Detroit Community Wealth Fund, director of Culture at Center for Community-Based Enterprises, C2BE, and international delegate for East Michigan Environmental Action Council. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to take a breath, and then I'm going to wrap it with Bryce Detroit did just launch this amazing album, which we will be getting into, oh, yes. as with all the other amazing things, mm-hmm. um, Structured Water, it's out now. Yes, yes. And uh, let's jump in. Boom. Where should we start? I really want to start with Entertainment Justice. Yes. Can you please first explain what that is Okay, so entertainment justice, um, from a media-based organizing perspective, it is an entertainment arts-based media organizing modality or pedagogy. For me, it starts with this, though. It starts with, as an entertainment professional, um, record producer being one of the hats that Bryce wears. It was very clear for me um, since the first iteration of my career that my entire career existed in the space of behavior science. So as a record producer, let me tell it, my job was to create content that can emotionally impress upon the listener in ways that would have the listener, um, that could compel the listener 
to see themselves in a particular light or behave in a particular light or at least be influenced to behave or see themselves in a particular kind of light. So from a corporate standpoint, in corporate entertainment, we have these things called corporate brand agents. And essentially, it's artists at the service of the goods and services that their parent companies um, hold. So if you are with Universal or whatever, how Seagram's is one of the companies in that entire holding. So you're definitely going to hear a lot of whatever the Seagram's products are, then you have certain artists who are literally brand agents for the Seagram's products. They're dropping this kind of liquor, this kind of gin, this kind of vodka. So for me, it's like, yo, instead of dedicating my career to that, let me abandon that path, jump off that ship, and let me repurpose my content, repurpose my magic and behavioral influence and ask from this point of question, what is the way that we can bring these skills to my people? One, to have them um, on a media deconstruction tip, being able to see more clearly, this is how your behavior and your identities are influenced in the ways that they are through the content that you consume. And then on another tip, looking at our grassroots um, social justice, environmental justice organizations, and asking them the question like, yo, what are the behaviors that you want people to adopt? You got movements, we got really important issues, yet um, from my experience as an activist these last 10 years, it's a lot of preacher talking to the choir. And um, in real life, we need more bodies involved in these conversations and we need more people moved and compelled to action. So what's the way to create art and create content that actually has the points of identity and shows people the points of behavior that we want them to be adopting. Because we need new folks, we need folks to be acting different if we want to actualize something different. So that's where entertainment justice for me began. Um, on an economic tip, it's also very much about acknowledging that in a city like Detroit, we have black music economy in our DNA. We used to be more than a one industry town. So looking, remembering and embracing that legacy, then we begin to look at the neighborhoods different, like in the North End. We still have buildings that used to be a part of the black music economy, like the Phelps Lounge, shout out the Apex Bar. So it's like, what is the way to, re, to stabilize these spaces and reactivate them for this Afrofuturist music economy where we're actually creating music and creating entertainment that's going to give us the new feelings, the new vibes, the new points of um, diasporic identity that can have us loving ourselves and seeing ourselves outside of the colonizer's narrative. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we get to really project some new futures um, and do that new shit. So, yeah. I really like it because it's very strategic. Hmm. And um, and understanding what propaganda can do, hmm. and kind of shift people's focus and consciousness. Uh, I think that that's really key, especially as we're like decolonizing. Yes. So it's almost as if you're using the same tools as colonizers use. Because they got those tools from our ancestors. Um, the colonizers' tools. The one tool that they 
definitely innovated that we were not, ancestrally speaking, is violence. We weren't really dealing with violence as a technology the way that they are. But what they did get from us is mythology, the way to create myths. So even this myth that, like, from when Columbus discovered anything, myth, but the way that that myth was programmed into us via education, you have entire institutions dedicated to disseminating these myths. Um, You have the entertainment industry, which is a disseminator, a propagator of a lot of myths. We get the Christmas myths through, we get the myths of Thanksgiving through the Charlie Brown and all that stuff comes from TV. So we get to use, we get to own these as ancestral technologies, myth creation, um, using the imagination as a faculty and then knowing the power of the imagination to produce images internally that will end up programming the body to do things. The same way that like, boom, a well-written song can paint a picture in the listener's mind. It's that picture in the listener's mind that if you imagine that scenario over and over again, then that becomes a program for how you might respond in that scenario. So like, if it's a song about dating a girl or, or dating a person, period, um, you listen to that song enough, and if the, if the, the songwriter is talking about, yo, I'm going to take this person here, I'm going to be considerate in this kind of way, I'm going to make sure that I open a door for them, I'm going to make sure that, you know what I mean, that I pay the bill and blah, 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 then a cat can actually listen to that and be like, oh, okay, and get ideas about how to behave. So I have a question about Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but go in this direction. Of Boy. course, we're going to end up with the Jay-Z controversy. But before we get there, I'm thinking about how he debunked a myth, the American mm. kind of Americana dream utopia mm. that we're kind of given, or, or that white um, body people are programmed to um, only be in touch with that that mm. reality that everything is great, everything's wonderful. Mm. I'm at a sports game, everything's mm. good, and here we have a Negro ne- kneeling, gotcha. um, telling us that something's wrong with our world and our reality and how we're experiencing it and how in our relationship to this nation. Mm-hmm. There, he's challenging all of these things. Do you think though? One of the, I mean. <clears throat> I, I think in the moment, the kneeling was just so powerful. And because we started seeing other people doing it, and it was a simple action that anybody and everyone could kind of do, right? Yeah. And we all understood what that, what that meant. Mm-hmm. No matter if the person was white, black, woman, man, yeah. uh, the kneeling, we, we all understand what that means. But there wasn't necessarily imagery about what, what we are to produce. <laughs> right, so the the future visioning aspect of that did not happen. Right, and do you think that that's what made the movement maybe? I don't want to say wane, but I feel like there there's a, almost not a jadedness to 
uh, even the, having the conversation because it almost became like it was stuck on repeat mm. because mm. It, it didn't really offer anything more than, you know, <clears throat> his, his argument, his initial argument. And also, is it disrespectful to Neil or not? You know, and it was just like, no, 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 no. And it was just kind of going in place and it kind of created this, a sag maybe in the in the movement in creating a space for Jay-Z to come in and create this relationship hmm. um with the NFL. Um yeah, because it, it kind of quieted down us just a a, a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts. Super appreciate your framing and even bringing this up like this. Um from a mythology standpoint. It is dope. That was dope of you to, to, to point out that he, he disrupted this mythology, which is American football and the entire context of American football, which is this is it's taken from <laughs> some of the antics that happened in Greece and Rome in the Colosseum. Um, so from that standpoint, this being um an activity that is engaged in for folks who have a particular degree of leisure. Um, and then it started from there, and this is me going back to Greece and Roman shit, but like sports, all that, for the aristocrats, people who had leisure as a lifestyle. Then at a certain point to foment rebellion amongst peasants and to give peasants the feeling that they were able to interact in different aspects of culture that they were excluded from on a class level, then you start to get peasants into the Coliseums to view some of that shit. So based on that kind of mythology, um, fast forward to present day, there was such, to me, really appreciate you how you brought this up, but to me, there was such a violent response by white-bodied Americans because he disrupted this, he disrupted their trance. He broke the trance and he used this event. Um, he used that moment at this event, which is supposed to be the thing that takes me outside of what's happening in reality. And he brought reality into the stadium. And that was super disruptive. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting to look at in terms of how it broke a broke a trance within the context of this white, this American myth. Yeah, and it's also their place of escape. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You know? And he brought that shit right there. So it's like, you can't escape right now. <laughs> now, the thing for me about the Kaepernick thing is that um, <clears throat> it, um, it, to me, it fits within the narrative of black protest in America. It's gestural and it's symbolic historically. Well, speaking to the actions that are gestural and more symbolic, um, which is more of like a civil rightsy type of thing for me. That it started happening after civil rights um, era. <clears throat> but in that, there was no call to action that Kaepernick gave. So the image that was produced is an image of this millionaire entertainer, sports entertainer, 
who is disrupt being civilly disruptive in a space on a platform that is elite in nature. Um, not everybody's going to be on a football field taking a knee. So that action on the image-wise, to me, it can only influence a certain group of people, people who have that same identity, who identify as a black-bodied sports entertainer. What we began to see after he took his knee is more black men on the field taking the knee because that was the point of identity of Kaepernick. Yet, his actions, his action did not go into everyday black America. It would be different if he went to the neighborhoods. Yes, he went on a talking tour, and this is not me um, looking to minimize whatever impact that may have had. Yet, there was no clear call to action from what when he went into these neighborhoods or whatever forums <clears throat> and started to speak about whatever he was speaking about. Um, so in that, it created room for, it created room for anything. You did something, and now people get to fill in the conversation because you didn't necessarily lead with a framework and lead with a particular conversation. It wasn't like, yo, this is 100% to bring uh, about policy change within the American policing system. It was like, yo, this is to in honor of all the police brutality that's going on. The shit's fucked up, essentially. Like, all right, that's a sentimental thing. Yet in that, there's no particular point of conversation. So white pundits were able to steer the conversations one place. This is anti-patriotic. Whole different conversation because he didn't lead one or assert one. And then it left a bunch of space for people to interpret what type of movement this could be. And then that's what would leave the room for Jay-Z to come in and be like, well, fuck it. I'm going to make it an economical movement. I'm going to make it about making sure that black elite entertainers get paid more <laughs> and get more opportunities to make millions of dollars with the NFL. Because it was just a lot of space, which for me goes back to this thing about movements post-civil rights era. Mm. Um, there became this trend of more religious things, like things that were based on belief, but not based on some concrete objective on earth. Like this is to shift this. That became more popular than the stuff that was happening in pre-civil rights, which is like legislative policy, boom-a-de-boom, like cats with the research and the educate, the political education that was necessary and that cats desired to do and to have, um, that looks different these days. Cats are excited to have, a, to share a sentiment more than they are to politicize themselves and to take an actual stand, like... Yeah, I fucks with Kaepernick. Yeah, yeah, put a knee down. Mm -hmm. Yet, on social media, it was not a whole big conversation. I'm like, so what about shifting police policy? What about blah, 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 blah? Mm -hmm. And then every time after that, one of our people fucking was assassinated by the hands of the American policing system in somebody's different city, then it's another hashtag. It's another 
this is fucked up because these na- that kind of national movement or national action didn't have any clear direction. Mm. So uh, I want to pivot a little mm. with structured water. Um, do you, you know, what does entertainment justice look like with this album? And, um, you know, where is it? How did it come into being? Mm. Mm. So um, for me, this is entertainment justice on the, on the tip of intentionally producing content, entertainment art that uplifts and celebrates positive points of diasporic African identity and lifestyle. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one thing that, um, that really did learn and was stressed by uh, my triple OG, Oliami Dabbles, super shout out Dabbles in the Embad African B Museum, is um, when I first met Dabbles 10 years ago, his whole thing was like, yo, everything you see around me, Bryce, is me asking myself the question, what is it to be an African now? A lot of the times when black people in America um, start thinking about what does it mean for them to uh, practice ancestral culture or to investigate what does it mean to be a part of the diaspora, folks will, and this is no knock, but folks will start wearing kente cloth, folks will start doing Kwanzaa, folks may say ashe, you know what I'm saying, Um, folks will uplift ancient Kemet, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's, that's cool. And that's, that's, if it's, you know what I mean? Like whatever gets you one step closer to something real, then I say, God damn it. But, um, but on another level though, it's folks revering relics. It's folks attaching to points in history and then just like dressing themselves in what already happened. But the pyramids happened when the pyramids happened because it was that group of commissions, comedic folks, black-bodied African folks, that's how they decided to interact with their environment. And that's how they decided to interact with materials at that time. Um, obelisk, the same shit. Uh, so it's like the ancestors weren't thinking about like, oh, they made pyramids 15,000 years before this one, so we're going to make pyramids again. It's like, no, no, no. This is the technology we're dealing with right now based on how we want to interact. Oh, innovation. Innovation. We're innovating based on where we are in our moment in time and the way we want to express ourselves and interact with the environment. So for me, Structure Water is, this is a, um, entertainment art coming from a diasporic African, a Detroit African in the 21st century. This is what it looks like to project, promote, and to celebrate a point of African identity that exists now. So 15, 20 years, 300 years from now, um, you know what I'm saying, when our future ancestors are like, what did the Africans, how did they think 300 years ago? Well, structured, out, structured water would be like a pyramid for some niggas then. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's, that's the way that Africans thought back then. So um, it, it's really me projecting and proving like, yo, this is, this is a 21st century African perspective. This is a 21st century diasporic identity Fully blown, sexy as fuck. Um, so that's for real, for real. Like one major thing about structured water. Another thing is, um, as an artist, as an artist whose last nine years has really been um, 
rooted in activism, then it became a thing for me to actually transition into being a full-time artist. Because just recognizing that, Bryce, you really were, you haven't been a full-time artist um, these last nine years. Nothing's wrong with that. You've had a very selfless career in activism at the same time, though, uh, in order for your particular work to scale, then Bryce Detroit must scale as an artist. Um, you're a record producer, fam. You are a fucking immaculate MC, bro. You know what I mean? Like, so you create that content that models your entire ethos, that models your principles and values. Because you're out here making, you're doing programs all throughout the city and throughout the nation, and you're having all these kind of conversations all over the place about what does it mean to you and what does it look like to do programming that celebrates and investigates identity, to reactivate buildings and use architecture and design to investigate and celebrate identity. What does it actually look like to make a new pop culture through entertainment that does <laughs> that shit, though? Like, it's time for you to model it, Bryce. So Structure Water is an example of new mainstream. This is what the pop culture will be in the future. And the future is now. You know what I mean? So Bryce is bringing the future now. Pop culture's already shifted. Misogyny's been dead in the future. You know what I mean? And, uh, and we celebrate our ancestry. We celebrate our diasporicness in the future. Heavy as fuck. And that's what Structure Water is for sure. I love it. I love it. And I just want to um, name that uh, you produced uh, the, the intro song that we use for the podcast. Dope. <laughs> which we used for my Meryl campaign. Yes, yes. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, I kind of want to um, dive deep into Detroit. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's part of your, your artist name. And it is... Um, really kind of your activism is centered here. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you uh, coined the phrase Detroit African. Yes. So if you could just kind of first really kind of uh, give us a little perspective on Detroit and your relationship to Detroit, maybe even some future visions, mm. and then, you know, what that means with all the other terms that you've developed. <laughs> Boom. So one point of relation that, we've had historically to Detroit is knowing and identifying with and loving Detroit as a majority black city. That's been something that Bryce has had the privilege, privilege for real, of, of holding as a point of identity since birth. When Bryce came into the earth, Detroit was a majority black city. Now, it's been in my adulthood and through being able to be in community with African scholars um, and folks and just people that, being on the front lines of activism in Detroit means that you're interacting with a lot of people, mm -hmm. legacy people who still hold the stories of this place. So uh, coming up in the Coleman Young era, then Bryce knew a Detroit that had black superintendents of the public school system. Um, we knew a public school system that was rated top five throughout my entire elementary, middle school, high school career, um, top five in the nation. Um, we knew a city 
that had a uh, surplus as far as the budget. So we knew, like, Detroit was modeling black excellence for the whole world, and we just thought that that was just, like, the nature and the DNA of Detroit. In adulthood, though, began to learn from these historians that were just referencing that um, Detroit was not always a black city. It was not always a majority black city. And as much as Bryce grew up celebrating the blackness of Detroit, one thing that was always a stark reality was the way the segregation and the way that on a policy level, it felt like we might as well have been down south or it felt like it might as well have been like the 1950s in the way that the police, the policing um, of black bodies in Detroit was still violent and aggressive. Redlining has had existed my has existed my entire life. Um, so the economic violence, the structural racism, um, all of these things were also as much a part of my Detroit reality as it being a majority black city. So one of the points of relation that we have with Detroit now is we relate to Detroit as this place that has a, had an artificially created black majority um, for some very, out of a very real reason, um, coming out of the late 50s when there was a real estate boom um, and you had developers who now had this mandate to develop what we now call the suburbs of Detroit, the metro Detroit area, all correlated to the way that the auto industry was scaling at the time. But short story, um, you have this manufactured um, campaign, this propaganda campaign that came out saying that black people are moving into white neighborhoods. That caused a lot of white body peoples to freak out and move to what we now call the suburbs, which was at that time non-existent but being newly developed. And that which folks call white flight and blame on the riots was actually a real estate shit. That created this black majority black population over the next 20 years. It was white people leaving and then black people continuing to have babies, you know what I'm saying, and continuing to move into the city. So Bryce relates to Detroit as a very dynamic, complex situation um, that wasn't it's intended for black bodies to be the culture and be the intelligence that moves the city yet it is a very real circumstance that we're in because since 1701 it wasn't a black city it wasn't 300 years of being a majority black city it's only been like 40 or 50 going on 60 years and that does mean something so uh, as you as you stated, like my activism is very much um, grounded in the city of Detroit and Detroit's issues, because as a majority black city, our issues stem from the fact that we've had policies on the books for a hundred years plus that were not designed in support of black people, let alone a majority black population at some point in time. Um, on a cultural level, because that's like the socio-political shit, but on a cultural level, do identify with and relate to Detroit as a black global metropolis. Shout out Will Copeland for that phraseology 
uh, the black global metropolis. Detroit, on a diasporic African level, has been innovating technology, innovating culture, um, innovating economics uh, on a global scale. Like the shit that comes out of Detroit shapes world culture, and that's been happening for generations. So off the strength of that, that creates this remarkable sense of pride um, and this sense of identity as being a world citizen. Like, if you grew up in Detroit, you're actually a world citizen, whether you know it or not, because the whole fucking world continues to watch what our black asses are doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And for real, for real. Um, we are a very real barometer for all things dope as fuck. So, um, so that's one thing. Uh, and it's a very real thing to acknowledge, too, that um, Detroit is the home of the Nation of Islam. That's where the Nation of Islam was founded. Detroit is the home of the Republic of New Africa. Uh, you have these major um, diasporic, pan-African, social, political, religious movements that were born here. And the particular movements all happen to do with folks tapping back into the ancestry. Mm -hmm. So... Um, not to mention how many Jamaican people live here and, you know what I mean, the, the awesome-ass food that we get here and how the African World Festival for the past 30 years has been putting on and letting us know that, like, yo, in real life, Detroit is a diasporic city. People come here to connect with black people from all over the world. Um, so Detroit has been a unique place that actually has reminded me and kept me grounded in the fact that Bryce is a uh, African, a part of the African diaspora. <clears throat> and that's interesting because people don't necessarily look at Detroit like that. But you got an Embad African Bead Museum. You got a Detroit African. You got a black man from Detroit whose name used to be James who was inspired <laughs> at a certain point in his life to create an African Bead Museum that not only held the history um, and the legacies of our ancestry, but actually projected new futures on what design, architecture, and storytelling can be. So it was in this place that we call Detroit that my own personal decolonizing and re-indigenizing happened. Uh, and off the strength of that, then created this phrase, this term, Detroit African, to one, acknowledge that in real life, Bryce as a fourth generation Detroiter, like Bryce is indigenous to a Detroit that was created in the late 20, in the mid 20th century and that exists to this very day. Um, and that means something. It really does. So yes, Bryce is indigenous to Detroit and at the exact same time, Bryce is 100% a part of a diasporic African continuum which is millions and millions of years old, rich with history, legacy, and ancestral identity. So wanted to create this phrase, this point of identity for myself to, that would help ground me in my Detroit indigeneity as well as allow me to continue to grow and investigate and celebrate and evolve my relationship to the continent and to my peoples of the diaspora as well as <clears throat> continue to grow me as this world citizen, this universal you know what I mean? Being 
Because um, that's where we are when we claim and when we rep our ancestry. We get to tap into the cosmos. Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap it up. I have a couple questions for you that I ask every guest. Mm. The first is, how do you decolonize daily? <clears throat> In real life, one is through language. Um, Detroit African, that is a hashtag to Bryce. As a hashtag, we put that shit out at least once a day in some kind of post. Um, my beads, I'm intentional about rocking the beads. So it's through attire, it's through language um, that Bryce gets to reinforce his connection to the diaspora. And in doing that, every time that we claim our diasporic connection is one time where we're dis- another time we're disavowing the colonial framing of who we are. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. And please share how you intentionally inject joy and pleasure into your life. Hmm. Intentionally injecting joy and pleasure. Now, this is, some, this is a behavior scientist's perspective <laughs> on this shit. But for real, for me, it starts with um, imagining Bryce. And by imagining, I'm talking about on the inside of me, in my imagination. It's imagining Bryce as a being <clears throat> who is crafted and designed from love, first and foremost. And that Bryce as a walking ancestor, a living ancestor, is a part of this entire continuum of people who created the civilizations that were in harmony with the world, <clears throat> in harmony with the earth. Um, so all from this point of identity, we're able, whenever some fuck shit from, from this colonized society pops up, then we're able to remind ourselves of from what we came and who we are for real, and that produces joy. Mm. It's so much power in that part, because it's like, oh, no, I'm not just some small victim who, who's a recent, you know what I'm saying, who's like this recent thing that came about in the last 500 years through torture and trauma. Like, no, that's not me. Um, so that, that does inject a lot of joy on some real concrete shit, too. Because Bryce is a baba, because Bryce is a dad on purpose, then um, looking at my daughters and growing my relationship, evolving my relationship with them every single day, that produces a crazy amount of joy um, on some real shit. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and they are beautiful, beautiful girls. Uh, so I want to know where can I find structured water? Boom. So Structured Water is definitely available on all digital platforms. We have a dope, well, this is this is some old future history shit, but um, on October 23rd, um, there's going to be a dope, a dope event in the North End, Oakland Avenue, 7615 uh, Oakland Avenue at the garage. And uh, for those folks who hear this shit in the future, the event was smashing. <laughs> it was fucking crazy, yo. It was amazing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah, um, definitely am in the season of bringing the live performance art to the people mm. as a mechanism of debuting this. But in the meantime, definitely catch it all digital platforms, your title, your Spotify, um, 
Yeah, all that shit. All that shit. Awesome. That's Structured Water by Bryce Detroit. And listeners, please write me and tell me, how do you decolonize your destiny? Mm. My email is decolonizeyourdestiny at gmail.com. And please remember to invest in your liberation. I'm out. I'm your host, Ingrid LaFleur. Thank you. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city.